Listeners, welcome back. You are now listening to Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries Unity in Christ program. For first-time listeners, my name is Christine Kim, and I am the host of this program. I sincerely hope to believe that all of our listeners lived this past week serving our one and only God. I came across an old friend a little while back. And we got together to catch up over dinner. During the past few years, he had gotten married, started his own business, and was walking on a very faithful walk with Christ. During our conversation, one thing that he mentioned was that he quit drinking and smoking. His main reason was because he was now a more devoted and faithful Christian, and also because he had his own family. Just thinking about this, I thought about how he was a complete different person than before, and that he actually cared about his health now. Now that he had a family, and this led to a deeper thought in my head, and that was, why do people actually drink and smoke in the first place? And even further, even while they see the warning labels on them, on most alcoholic bottles, there is a warning label that will say something along the lines of, "Drinking alcohol increases your risk of developing cancer," or, "Drinking alcohol and driving increases the risk of injury or death." Tobacco products have a warning label that says smoking causes lung cancer, heart disease, emphysema, and may complicate pregnancy. People, of course, will come across these warning labels, but still continue to drink and smoke. But I wonder what the underlying reason is to their continuing acts, because they are not afraid of what may happen, or because they think it may be manageable, even if they get some kind of disease. In my personal opinion, I think the very reason is this, which is that they think it's okay. I will be fine. I will be okay. I'm pretty sure this may be the same for the majority of people that smoke and drink excessively. But even while reading those warning labels, they probably think it's okay. I'm an exception. This will never happen to me. But let's just think: if an individual reads the warning label and actually thinks to themselves. Oh my! I might actually get lung cancer or diseases. Then don't you think they would stop right then and there? But because people tend to think those warning labels don't apply to them, they continue to drink and smoke. However, I had a few close friends and even family members that used to smoke, and while coming across a news article or a documentary on television about the seriousness of smoking and drinking and how one can risk their health. Then their thoughts about their actions change, and I can tell they were slightly frightened. When you see people who have passed away from lung cancer, oral cancer, or other diseases, it really does make you become more cautious. My family and I, especially, we have a history of family members passing away from lung and liver cancer, so we are even more careful. And I'm pretty sure many other people think just like myself. But what is more surprising is that I've seen many people that get frightened by the outcome of this, so they stop drinking and smoking. But it does not last long. Sometimes, not even a whole day. I have not much to offer you, not near what you deserve. 
But still I can't Because your cross has placed in me my worth Oh Christ, my King of sympathy
There are many people even now at this moment who continue to live smoking and drinking, even while reading the warning labels on alcohol bottles and tobacco products. If they continue to ignore those warning labels, then their health will continue to decline as stated on the labels. The Bible continuously tells us and lets us know that our life is not over even after our time on this land. The Bible specifically tells us that there is not just a world of flesh, but a spiritual world. When our life on this land ends, the Bible clearly tells us we will stand before God and will face judgment. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment are the words of Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear His voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. Jesus tells us this in the scriptures of John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29. The Bible continues to tell us through the word about life after death. It tells us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7 through 9. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with His powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. These words of warning have been proclaimed to us since after Jesus came. And even today, to this very moment, we are being told and warned about life after death.
Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor Mark Martin of Calvary Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. Today's topic is The Spirit of Antichrist, Part 2, based on 1 John chapter 2, verses 12-24. through 24. I hope you have a blessed time as you join Pastor Mark Martin. You can spend a long time driving towards the Grand Canyon, right? But you can say, I'm on the highway. I'm on the highway. We are on the way, we are on the road to the Grand Canyon. And then you get there, and you could go right over and into the Grand Canyon. It's not time yet. And so you drive along the Grand Canyon for a while. And that's what we've been doing historically for about 60 years, is we are ready. There is no prophecy that needs to be fulfilled before Jesus Christ in return. Jesus Christ can come at any moment, and this is the hope of the church. It's the blessed hope. It's the blessed hope because it is just that. It is hope. It is a confident belief that Jesus Christ is coming, and he's going to appear for, to take us to be with him, and when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him just as he is, and everybody that has this hope, knowing that the Lord will return at any moment, purifies himself, even as the Lord is pure because we realize that, hey, if the Lord could come at any moment, I need to be ready every moment. I want to be living for the Lord all the time. I don't want to be caught, and we're going to see that in just a moment. I don't want to be caught by his coming. I want to be caught up when he comes. Children, it is the last hour, verse 18. 
And just as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now, many Antichrists have arisen. From this we know that it is the last hour. See, even in John's day, there were false teachers, evil workers, trying to tear apart God's people and God's church. And he says, look, this is the spirit of the Antichrist. It's not the Antichrist, but they are doing the same kind of work as Antichrist will do. And the, I think part of, he's do, using kind of a play on words, the Antichrist is coming, but there are people who are Antichrist working among you right now. And of course, nobody comes and says, I'm, I'm Antichrist. I mean, if they did, the sheep would go, well, ah, you know, let's, you know. But instead, you know, they try to get in like, you know, they want to look acceptable. And then they spring their ploys. Children, it is the last hour. And just as you've heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have arisen. And from this we know that it is the last hour. Verse 19. They, that is these Antichrist people and those who follow them, went out from us, but they were really not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have, read, remained with us. You see, one of the signs of being in Christ is you stay with his people. So he's saying, they went out, and, and, and this was concerning the people, of course. What is this? I, I'm confused. And, and John says, look, they went out, they've left, and it's just evidence they never really were part of us. But they left us, he said. They went out in order that it might be shown that they all are not of us. It is good for people to leave the church occasionally. It's good. What tree is there, what fruit-bearing tree is there that isn't pruned? Do you guys know anything about that? I have a friend here who came over to my house. It was when we lived at a different place. The trees were uh, different. Oh, no, he did it again. <laughs> and Rick came over and he said, let me prune your trees for you. Okay, because I know what I'm doing. He knows what he, he says, I know what I'm doing. And so I came out and my trees look like, my little fruit trees look like stubs. Just trust me, trust me. I grew up, I grew up in the, uh, around this stuff. I know about it. Just trust me. And I, I'm, frankly, I thought, oh man, you know, that year we had the most apples on our apple tree that we had ever had. We had the most, we had two of them. We had, uh, that's what I remember the most. We have peach tree too that was abundant in its harvest because he pruned it pretty severely. It was like, oh. But the fruit was abundant. And so we look at those times and we go, oh, branches. And the Lord is saying, as we see sometimes people leave the church, we say, oh, 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 but you know, maybe they weren't really of us. And it's okay. I mean, not everybody who leaves a church is an antichrist or in sin. But he's saying even the, the leaving part is good for the church because 
it's evident who is really committed to the work of God. That's what he says at the end of verse 19. But they went out in order that it might be shown that they are not all of us. Look at what the Apostle Paul says. I saw this today, and I, I've been looking for it, and I, in 2 Corinthians, the 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle says, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and that'd be, of course, to the left from where we are in um, 1 John. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 18, the Apostle Paul, he's kind of in the middle of a thought, in the middle of, of, of trying to correct this Corinthian church that is, that, I'm telling you, that would be um, a nightmare of a pastoral position to have been the pastor of, of the Corinthian church. And, I mean, the, what, what, a, what a brawly bunch. But in verse 18, look at what he says. For in the pla- first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you. And in part, I believe it. Knowing them, he's saying, I can believe that there are divisions among you. But look at what he says. Verse 19 is what fascinates me. For there must also be factions among you in order that those who are approved may have become evident among you. You see what he's saying? He's saying, when these things happen, though, those who are really walking in the Spirit and are walking after the interests of God and his people, that becomes evident. It's that pruning idea. Now, lest you say, oh, look, this is a text that proves there should be divisions in the church because he says, for there must be divisions. That is not what that means. Just look over to chapter 12, verse 25. Paul is not saying there, I want there to be divisions. What does it say in verse 25? 12, 25, read. That there should be what? No division in the body. No, it is not God's purpose and God's desire that Christians be fighting each other. And Christ, you know, what a testimony that is to the world. Well, the world looks at that and goes, get your act together. Jesus says, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples because you what? Love one another. That's pretty cool. It's pretty simple, too. So coming back to 1 John chapter 2. They went out from us by 19, but they weren't really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out in order that it might be shown that they are not all of us. Verse 20. But, this is cool, you have an anointing from the Holy One. And you all know or some translated, and you know all things. What does that mean? Well, I've heard people say, well, that means that if you're really walking in the Lord, you don't need a pastor. I remember somebody going off on that. There was a whole group of people that say, well, we don't have any pastors. We don't need anybody to teach us. We don't need any teachers. Although Jesus did give a pa- pastors, teachers to the church as a gift, right? But forget about that. We don't need it because, because we're misinterpreting this passage. Because we need a teacher. What is the Apostle John saying? This is what he's saying. He says, you have an anointing. The anointing from the Holy One is the Holy Spirit. Jesus, the Holy One, has sent his Holy Spirit upon us, the church. And the Holy Spirit lives in us. And we know that. You know that, he says. And this you know. 
You know this stuff. See, he's not, he's not teaching them doctrine that they haven't heard. He's already said this in 1 John. He says, I'm not teaching you a new commandment. You guys already know this, but I'm just reminding you. And that's really a teacher's job in the church. It's not to teach new doctrine. I hope not. Any new doctrines 2,000 years after Jesus are heresy, okay? You don't want any new doctrines. We have the faith once and for all delivered to the saints and, and to the church. So what we want is just to teach that, and we have to just be reminded of this stuff because we just forget. That's part of life. You have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know I have not written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie is of the truth. So he's saying you have the Holy Spirit in you, and he's going to help you discern between what is right and wrong. I was talking to uh, Pastor John about that as we were driving today, and I said, you know, it's so cool that we don't have to memorize some kind of a book on all these things to be able to discern what's right and wrong. We don't have to, you know, sometimes people will be all torqued about something, they'll try to be explaining all of this to you, and in your spirit, you're just going, I don't think so. And they're going on, oh, but you should check this out. And you got to do that. And oh, you got to look at that. You got to check. And in your spirit, you're just going. And you're thinking, well, I just don't know as much as these people. If I knew as much of them, I would be as angry and upset and, and as boisterous and all this stuff as they are. And you're realizing, no, you know what it probably is? Is the Holy Spirit is just, he, he's your anointing. And you're thinking, well, this isn't Jesus. Go with that generally. Go with that. You'll, you'll know. The Lord's in you. He's leading you. And, and then I've, there have been so many things, like when I grew up in the church I was in, we were so dogmatic about certain doctrines that after a while, and after I got saved, I began to get kind of checks in my spirit. But I had been born and raised to believe them all my life, and, and I had been very dogmatic and very big, and I get torqued about them to other people, you know, ah. And then I began to kind of get that check in my spirit that, you know, I don't know. I don't think maybe this is the Lord. It was the Lord. He's leading us by his spirit and by his grace. And then what happened was my knowledge caught up with what the spirit was telling me. And sometimes that happens. The spirit, he's always there kind of guarding you. And he's in your spirit, communicating to you spirit to spirit. Then your knowledge of the word will catch up to that. Now, I'm not saying that you go around just being led by how you feel either. Our feelings always should be submitted to the word of God. But sometimes, you know, it's not an issue that's so black and white and you're trying to figure it out. Just kind of sense, Lord, is this you? Lord, tell me. Tell me in my heart, Lord. Tell me in my spirit. Because I don't know all this stuff, but I just want to know from you. And the Lord, he'll be very good to do that. Now he says, no lie is of the truth, though. I'm writing to you because you know the truth. I don't have to you know, lay down the ABCs of everything to you. But I'm just going to tell you this. No lie is of the truth. Who is the liar that I'm talking about? Verse 22. But the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. The one who denies the Father and the Son. Now, John 
confronted what was a big issue in the first century church, and that was that people were attacking the deity of Christ or the person and nature of Jesus Christ. Some were coming in and saying, well, Jesus was just a man, but the spirit of the Christ came upon him and and then left him at the cross. And then others said, no, uh, Jesus was nothing but divine and not man. I mean, there was all these crazy theories but they were all attacking the basic truth that Jesus came and he was 100% God and he was 100% man. He was the perfect God-man in the flesh. He never ceased being God. He never ceased being man. He rose bodily from the grave after his resurrection. And see, they were attacking this truth. And John says, this is about as antichrist as you can get. They were against Jesus because they were teaching false doctrine about Jesus Christ. What you believe about Jesus is absolutely essential because Jesus is who gets you into heaven. You have to know him. This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's what Jesus said. And so we have to know him, and if we have the wrong Jesus, so to speak, he's not God, he's just an angel, or he's just a... He's just a manifestation of God, but he is not God the Son. Or he, you know, there's all these funny theories that cults and false religions teach about Jesus. If we have the wrong Jesus, we're in trouble. And John says it's, it's no light matter because if you don't have, if you're off on Jesus, you don't have God. Some people say, well, that Jesus stuff, but I, I, I've got the old man in heaven. I don't know how many times I've heard that in the last six months. The old man, don't say that to me. I'm going to just say, you know, that is, maybe I'll just step away because that's lightning bolt stuff. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> the old man, that is so. Can you imagine having like an Isaiah experience when he saw the Lord high and lifted up and then saying something that ridiculous? Well, John says, You can't say you have God and not have Jesus. You must believe in Jesus. If you deny Jesus, you do not have God. You say, are you sure? Yeah, look at what he says. Verse 23, whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. Amen. And as for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, lives in you, you will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise which he himself made to us. Say it. Oh, I'm going to read it again and you're going to punch it out. And this is the promise which he himself made to us. Eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. And as for you, the anointing which you receive from him abides in you. That's the Holy Spirit. He lives in you, right? And you have no need for anyone to teach you. In other words, you don't have anybody to teach you these false doctrines that they're teaching you. And I don't have to go over these things that you already know. But as the anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as is taught you, you abide in him. 
See, there was also in John's day a teaching called Gnosticism that taught that you had to have the secret knowledge. You have to have our book. You have to see, you have to see this revelation that no one else has ever seen before. We have to teach you these things. And then you'll be part of God's last day troops on the earth. Well, John's saying, you don't need anybody to teach you any secret knowledge because you have what you got in the beginning. That's what you need. And the Holy Spirit is making the yellow lights go off, warning lights, for good reason. These guys are antichrists. Stay away from them. Watch out for those who are trying to deceive you. We have to understand that in the church, people do come in and they try to deceive God's people. It seems like, well, come on. There ought to be like a safety bubble, right? So he's saying, watch out. Be on your guard. And now, verse 28, little children, abide in him, live in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. We don't want to be caught. Oh, oh no, Jesus is here. What am I doing? I don't want to be raptured in the middle of some awful sin. (laughs) Caught. Shrinking away from him in shame at his appearing. No, he says, you live so that when he comes, you're going to be going, whoa, praise you, Lord. Verse 29, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. Just, it's such food for our souls, so timely. And Lord, we ask that you will speak to us application. Thank you for the anointing that we have received from you O Holy One, thank you for the Holy Spirit who does teach us, who does guide us and protects us. Lord, keep us from being led astray. Keep us, Lord, close to you in these last days. And we do pray, Lord, that as we look forward to your coming, that you will move upon the earth in power in these last days as well. May there be a great harvest, Lord. In Jesus, your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Poured out for us 
Soul Gospel Ministry is looking for volunteers in tech editing to ensure the quality of the broadcast and the addition of more encouraging and empowering programs. Volunteer hours are three hours a week and anyone who's had experience with computer before can participate. And don't worry if you're not familiar with the sound editing program, Heart and Soul will provide basic training and editing, so if anyone is interested in helping out our ministry, please contact us at 602-866-8999. Thank you! Please stay tuned as we are following a program that guides us to know what ethics Christians should hold, titled Christian Ethics. Hello listeners, this is Brian Winston with Christian Ethics. Last week we spent time discussing abortion from a supporter's viewpoint. Since they treat a fetus as a human, they argue that the mother's personal freedom of making a choice is more important than the life of the fetus. Therefore, they claim that if the life of the pregnant woman would become worse after the childbirth, then the woman has the right to choose abortion. Today we'll talk about the other two viewpoints. The first viewpoint argues that a fetus is a potential human. People with this viewpoint say that it takes eight weeks for a fetus to develop and become human. And if the eight weeks has not passed, it is not yet a human. Therefore, an abortion is justified if it's done under eight weeks. However, this claim cannot clearly define exactly when the fetus becomes a human, and it's just a claim without a clear line. When the fetus is formed, the DNA is also formed. A fetus's heart begins to beat on the 18th day. Towards the end of the second month, all body parts and organs are formed and begin to work. On the fifth month, a fetus can survive outside the mother's womb. Most of the time, self-consciousness is formed while the fetus is still in the womb, but may also be formed after the birth. So when can we call this fetus a human? Because the body parts are fully developed around the eighth week? The supporters of this view consider a fetus a human. However, this viewpoint conflicts with the growing progress of human nature. All organs or body parts begin to develop as soon as pregnancy starts. Even after the birth, a baby keeps growing. It becomes a child, it passes puberty, and becomes an adult. And at a certain point in time, the body begins to degenerate. During all of these periods of time, there is not a moment that this individual wasn't considered a human. All biological elements that make a human are formed in the DNA at the start of a pregnancy. A human's social or spiritual traits keep evolving as a child grows in a certain environment. Therefore, the physical, social, or spiritual growth cannot become a standard to decide whether it is human or not, especially since science cannot prove or argue that a human not only has a materialistic, but also a spiritual nature. This is not a field of science, but a field of religion and faith. Now we'll take a look at the last viewpoint of those who oppose abortion. They argue it's a human from the beginning of pregnancy. They firmly believe that a life begins when the pregnancy happens. This argument is factual from a biological viewpoint. 
However, the issue is not whether a fetus has a life or not. The issue is determining the exact point in time when this life is considered a human. How do we prove this? The Bible doesn't clearly explain at what point in time the life of a human begins. The reason why this is not explained is not because God doesn't know it. It's because the Bible has a basic premise that a life is human as soon as it's formed in the beginning. Let's find some Bible verses that support this viewpoint. Psalms 139.13 says, For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. This verse says just as God created Adam and Eve in his image, he creates a fetus. Also, in Jeremiah 1.5, a personal pronoun is used when referring to a fetus. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Looking at these two verses, we know that God personally knows the fetus just like he personally knows other people. Also in Luke 1 and 2, a fetus is referred to as brephos, which is a word for an infant or a baby. Therefore, we know there is no distinction between being inside and outside of the womb. The scientists have looked at different aspects of abortion. The mass media has depicted the different argument as a battle between science and faith. In all actuality, this is not a battle between science and faith. It is to determine whether the matter is based on the human as the standard of all creation, or is it based on God's sovereignty as a standard for everything. Modern science has provided a way to look at a fetus inside the womb using an ultrasonic wave. Through science, we are now able to know if anything is wrong with the fetus. As a result, this technology gives us a reason to consider abortion. If the parents find out that their baby will be born with some kind of abnormality or disability, many parents choose abortion. But doing so is never justified in the Bible. Even people who oppose abortion would approve abortion depending on the situation, such as when it's clear that both mom and the baby's lives are at risk. For example, if nothing is done for an ectopic pregnancy, both mom and the baby would die. In this situation, no matter what action is done, the fetus will die. In this case, abortion would be approved to save the mother's life. An appreciation of the value of life must provide a clear guidance on saving someone's life. If we firmly believe that a fetus is a complete human being, we should respect its life like we respect others. Let me summarize now. When we think of humans' DNA, it is scientifically true that one's life begins with the start of a pregnancy. The Bible also proclaims so. If the life of a human begins with a pregnancy, abortion is considered murder no matter at what stage of pregnancy it happens. If the human life begins later, that exact point in time should be defined, and all the abortion that is done after the defined time would be considered murder. However, this issue in defining the exact time is mired with political views and there are no clear standards, so this debate will continue on. As Christians, 
On which standard should we stand? I'll let you answer this question. This concludes this week's episode of Christian Ethics. I thank you for listening, and God bless.
This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with His powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. These are the passages of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7-9, through 9, which I read earlier. The Bible tells us there will be punishment for a certain group of people. And who is that group of people? Yes, you're correct. They are the people who do not know God and who have not obeyed to the gospel of Christ. What kind of punishment is this? A few spankings? A few years in jail? Can you be released from this punishment? The answer is no. The Bible tells us they will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of His power. An everlasting destruction. Revelation chapter 20 explains a little more in detail about this. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. These are the words of Revelation chapter 20 verse 12 through 15. These warning messages continue to be delivered to people. And I'm pretty sure there are many people who are not even Christians or have not accepted Christ that have at least once or more heard these messages. But they probably assume they are an exception that they can be excluded from this. However, there are no exceptions and no exclusions. Everyone is destined to die once and there will be judgment to follow. Without any exceptions, every single individual will die and receive judgment from God. There will be judgment about sin and righteousness based on the Christians who have become righteous through Christ and the others who do not believe. There are many people today that take for granted the warnings of salvation and think they are excluded from it all. Some even mock them and set foot on a path that leads to destruction. It is the same as reading a warning label but lighting a cigarette or consuming alcohol and being addicted to it. Do you think we should just get rid of all warning labels since people disregard them anyways? Since they are no good? No, we should not. Because there will be that person who reads the warning label and quits smoking or drinking. That person won't think they are an exception, but will take with all seriousness that those results can happen to them. We need to continuously deliver the warning messages of God's kingdom to the people who are walking on the path of destruction. We need to strongly and truthfully let them know. And when we faithfully deliver these messages, God will pour His grace and someone will come forth before the gospel. I hope that we will continuously and faithfully deliver and proclaim the gospel and the living truth. That many lost souls will come before Christ as we will now wrap up unity in Christ. Thank you for listening as it has been my pleasure. I hope to see you this time next week and God bless. I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side I can only imagine what my eyes will see when your face is before me I can only imagine yeah. 
Surrounded by your glory What will my heart feel Will I dance for you, Jesus? Or in all of you be still Will I stand in your presence? Or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine I can only imagine I can only imagine When that day comes And I find myself Standing in the sun I can only imagine When all I would do is forever forever worship you i can only imagine yeah i can only imagine surrounded by your glory what will my heart feel will i dance for you jesus or in all of you be still Or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. Yeah, I can only imagine. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for your Jesus? I can only imagine